We are in this final week of our summer teaching series through Moses. It's hard to believe we've been seven weeks talking about uh, Moses. If you're joining us here for the very first time today, don't worry. There's no homework. You don't have to like come pre-prepared. Uh, but I do want to let you know that the whole series is available on our podcast. You could catch up. Um, but as we get into this, this last week, I'm reminded of why we are doing this series. Every year we take a series to highlight what we call a God chaser from the Bible. And a God chaser, here's the definition of it, is someone who is fully devoted to bringing glory to God with their life. As a church, we want to be God chasers, fully devoted to being, bringing glory to God with their life. What's cool is there's phases of that. Like as you learn more and more in your faith and you grow, like you, you can establish that deeper and deeper into your life. And so you can start like immediately, okay, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to church once a week or once a month. And then it's going to get deeper and deeper as you learn more about God's love. But we want to be God chasers. In fact, the full phrase we say is we want to be God chasing, grace-shaped love agents because it's really important that we get that full picture of not only loving God, but turning it around and loving the world, which is why we're having Love Agent Week this week. We're studying Moses because he is just like a quintessential God chaser. When we first met him, he wasn't chasing God at all. He was doing his own thing. He'd made some big, huge mistakes. But several weeks ago, we found this moment where he discovers God, and he decides, I'm going to do this with my life. I'm going to pursue God with my life. And as a result, God was able to use him to not only do some amazing things, but to leave a legacy, a legacy with his life. Legacy is what I want to talk about today. Um, Legacy, you know, a lot of things might come to your mind when you think about the word legacy. I wonder uh, what people are going to think about us, our generation, those of us living and breathing right now, 100 years from now. Legacy. Our forefathers did a great job of like writing letters back and forth and they had like memoirs and daily journals and like our historian is going to be like, okay, according to Twitter, uh, yeah, homie, don't play that. And you know, Wendy's has got a special on Frosties and like, this is what we're talking about. Is this going to be the collection of the things that people remember us as? Uh, Our pictures, it's ironic that we have the ability to chronicle history like no other generation. Um, But me personally, like I've got like millions of pictures somewhere like they're like on a hard drive or like on an old phone so i'm just curious like what will future generations view us as how what mark will we leave and, and here's the thing that's a little bit sobering that regardless of whether we're conscious of it or not we're leaving a legacy like the things that we do leave a ripple into uh the future the people that we interact with and the things that we do it's our legacy the reality is we have to make a choice about what we're going to do with that time we've been given. Here's what I believe. I believe that every one of us right here, right now on this day, has the opportunity to aim that legacy at something. We do. I mean, I just talked to a group of college students. There's a lot of you here right now, and I, I think that's part of what college is about, right? You're like, okay, what am I going to do with myself? But those of us who have uh, children, we look at our children. We're like, what are we going to, what, what's going to be the result of our family tree? The careers that we choose, the people that we date and that we marry and the way that we spend our monies, all these things, they contribute to the overall legacy that we leave, leave behind. Well, how do we aim that legacy? And what is the best thing to aim it at? I, w- I want to make the case today, guys. I'm going to come right out of the gate with it and say, I, I think looking at the life of Moses, that the best thing that we can aim our life at Is bringing the glory to God, being God chasers. Figuring out what that looks like in our day-to-day life and applying it as we walk. And so we love to look every week uh, to the Bible to discover the answers to life's most important questions. And so uh, we're going to be in that. We're trying something different with our lighting today, so bear with us. Uh, If you got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. And we're going to be in the book of Numbers 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's the fourth book of the Bible. If you have a hard time finding it, you can look in the index in the front. I'll also have the screen uh, behind me. We'll have the scripture on it. But we're going to be in Numbers chapter 14. And I want you to look at that because as we unpack kind of Moses' legacy and understand what it means for us to leave a legacy, I think we've actually got to back up and have like a quick side teaching here, okay? So uh, in your little connection packet, there was a, a notes card. This might be an interesting thing for you to write some stuff down about. There are a series of books in the very beginning of the Bible that traditionally has been known as the Torah. Uh, More modernly, we call it the Pentateuch. Pentateuch means the five books or the five scrolls. And the Torah is what the Jews see as their their foundational books of, of their faith, of their law, and of how they approach God. And so these first five books of the Torah, of the Bible, are called the Torah or the Pentateuch. And what in the world does that have to do with Moses? Well, it turns out, guess who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Our guy Moses, he wrote them. Part of his legacy was, were these books that he wrote. Um, and so what I want to do very quickly, I want to give you a snapshot of what each of these books is about. So the Torah. First of all, the very first book of the Bible is called Genesis. Genesis. It's a book about beginnings. And uh, in the book of Genesis, we see everything from the creation of the world. And then we follow the family tree that is going to become the family tree of uh, Abraham that is eventually going to become the Israelites. That's a super short snapshot of Genesis, but that's Genesis. The second book in the Torah is called Exodus. And this is where we've been camping out for the last six weeks as we've looked through the story of Moses. Uh, This book, the book of Exodus, is essentially the story of that nation. Remember Abraham's family from Genesis. They grow into a great nation and eventually they become slaves in Egypt. And the book of Exodus is the story of how God is going to free them from their slavery using a guy named Moses. So most of Moses' story is in the book of Exodus. Um, Exodus wraps up, though, where God is giving the law to the people. And we've been talking about that the last two weeks as we covered the Ten Commandments. And there's also all kinds of other law and um, expectations God has and even ways you know, to build their tabernacle, which is the place where they're going to have worship and the ways that they uh, organize themselves and camp. All this stuff is all uh, kind of is given at the end of the book of Exodus, but it runs right into the third book of the Torah, which is called Leviticus. It's called Leviticus because the priestly uh, family was called the Levites. And so this is like the Levite book, the Leviticus. Um, And so there's a lot of stuff in the book of Leviticus, specifically how do I approach God? As a Jew in that time period, how do I approach God? We learn a lot about the priesthood. We learn about sacrifices. We learn about ceremonies. A lot of stuff that doesn't necessarily uh, show itself in Christianity, but there's like little glimmers of it in some of the stuff that we do, which is, which is pretty cool as you dig into it. But the book of Leviticus also covers one thing, which I think is pretty cool. God has the goal of setting his people apart from other nations. Remember, they had no land of their own. They were being brought out of Egypt, and they had nowhere to go. But other countries did have land, like America. We have boundaries, borders, and laws, and governments, and economies, and all these things. And God said, look, I want you to be different than those nations. So he sets up all these different uh, rules for how to worship and how to approach God. But one thing that he really sets up is uh, laws about social justice. It's really cool. In the era that we live in, that's all about social justice, sort of, kind of, like it is. And then there's all kinds of things that blow up. And so it's crazy, the back and forth of that. But social justice isn't a modern concept. Actually, God, God did it initially to help the Israelites be set apart from the other nations. They had rules for how to take care of the poor and widows and orphans and also even dealing with outsiders that are different than you and how to, how to wel- be welcoming and things like that. It's, it's, this is all the social justice stuff that uh, God used to set the people apart. So 
that brings us to what we're going to talk about today. That's a snapshot for the, through the first three books of the Torah. We're going to kind of put a pause on the discussion of Torah because it's going to be relevant in just a minute. But it brings us to the fourth book of the Torah, which is called the Book of Numbers. The Book of Numbers. Um, let me tell you about this book real fast. Numbers begins with a census. Remember, all these people have been rescued from slavery. They're kind of just out in the wilderness right now. They're literally camped around a mountain right now. They stay there for about a year, and they take a census. That's kind of one of the first things you have to do in establishing a nation. So literally, this book is called Numbers because it's about the numbers at the beginning. It's how many people are there, how many people are in each family group, and um, a lot of their names are listed and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. It begins pretty good, but it ends, like I hate to give a spoiler alert on this one, but like it ends not so good for the Israelites. Because they go from being ready to establish this nation to being punished, severely punished for a really long time. All right, so, you still with me? Like, we just went through, like, uh, I don't know, hundreds of years, thousands of years of history in just a few minutes. But we bring us to this point where Moses is standing with the nation of Israel. And God has a plan for them. Remember I just said uh, they had spent 400 years in slavery. And they had been rescued from slavery, and now they're kind of a landless people. Well, God had promised them, I'm going to give you a place. In fact, I love the way it said, this is the land I am giving you. And it's become known as the promised land. It was God's promised land for these people. And they'd been wandering. They'd been like running from the Egyptians. They'd just gotten God's law. They'd been camping out for a while. And and this is really cool. Moses comes down. He's like, hey, the day is here. The day is here. God's going to give us this land, and all we got to do is check it out. And so uh, they, they, they identify where this land is, and Moses sends a little, uh, little recon party out to check out the land. The land was called Canaan at the time. And he says, all right, I want, I want to get people from each of the tribes. I want you guys to, to kind of form a little research group. I want you to go and check out Canaan, see what's in there, see how it's going, and let us know what it's going to be like when we move in. Well, the recon group comes back. And basically what they say, this is, uh, this is my summary because it's actually a pretty long little speech they give. They say, no way. No way. I mean, the land is great. The vegetables and fruits are fantastic. They describe it as a land flowing with milk and honey, which sounds sticky. But, you know, that's how they describe it. It's a really great place. But there's a problem. The people who live there, and other people are like, people who live there? Yes, there are people who live there, and they're huge. And one guy specifically says, compared to those people, we're like grasshoppers. And so they say, no, we can't do it. The problem was there were already other nations living in this land that God was going to give to the Israelites. On the surface, we'd be like, hold on, God, that that doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would you, if they already lived here, why would you then tell these people they could live? Here's the short summary of it. The people who lived there were evil people. They worshipped demonic forces. They did terrible things during their worship, many of them including uh, an, uh, sorry, human sacrifice and immoral sexual things that they did for worship and, and to people. And it was, it was a mess. And God basically said, you know what? Um, I'm going to take that land away from them. They're not doing good with it. And you can have it. But when the word spread through the people that there were big, giant, muscular, military-type men living in this land, the people said, no. No. We're not going to do it. In fact, I want to read to you uh, the, their freak out moment. Okay, this is in Numbers. I finally got it here. Numbers chapter 14. If you looked it up, this is where we're going to be. It's going to be on the screen behind me too. In Numbers chapter 14, this is the people's response. It says, that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. That's Moses' brother. And the whole assembly said to them, 
If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then they say this, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Like, I don't know, I can't really relate to this as much, you know, as some things. I've never had like a whole nation of people rebel against me. But I have had my children rebel against me. Um, maybe this has happened at your house. And so this is like the closest thing I could think of to really, really seeing what Moses might have felt like or God might have felt like. And it's when like my wife works really hard and she, she's a really good cook and she's made you know, some amazing meals. And so let's say she's worked and she's made a really special meal. It's really good. But it's something that our kids have never had before. And parents, you've been here. I know. You get to the table and the kids see what's on the table and they're like, ugh, what's that? <laughs> I'm not eating that. I'm not eating that. And you're like, uh, yes, you are, because that's what's for supper. And in this moment, like my kids, are, I don't know if they, if they want to like elect a new dad and like move to Egypt. I don't know if that's like if they've ever gotten that far with it, but... It must be what God felt like. Like, I've been planning this for you for a really long time. I've got this gift. I'm going to give it to you. They're scared that they're going to be destroyed. But you know what? God has just delivered them from Egypt, which was, by the way, the most powerful nation in the world at the time. And they didn't so much as lift a hand or a sword, right? I believe that God was completely capable of giving them the promised land without a fight. That's my personal belief. It doesn't say that that was what was going to happen. But, but they're not interested. They don't even want to try it. They don't even want to taste it. They just say no. No, I'm not going to do it. And what's so sad is they forget about all the dozens of times that God has already delivered them and given them exactly what they want. Because in this moment, they're like, mm -mm, I'm scared. I'm scared I'm not going to do it. And then they do the weirdest thing. They say, we should go back to Egypt. We've talked about this before a few weeks ago. They, they say this several times throughout the story. We should just go back to Egypt. Like, that's just their default. We, we were better off as slaves. They're being horribly treated, but they would rather go there than trust the God who has already delivered them time and time again. Well, if you've ever been at my house after my kids have that moment, and you've seen my wife's response to them, you might have some idea of the way God felt and the way he responded to these people. This is what God says in November. Uh, November. It might have been November. I don't know when it was. You could probably figure it out. But Numbers, chapter 14, uh, this is second half of verse 10. He says, then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. And the Lord said to Moses, look, I, want you to, I just want you to just try to feel the emotion that God might have been feeling in this, if, if we can even do that. He says, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? And then he says this, I will strike them down with a plague and I will destroy them. Now, Moses, I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Now, if you've grown up in church at all and you know the story about what happens next, you might be like, I didn't realize this was even a moment. I didn't realize there was a moment where the, the Israelites tried to uh, you know, form a coup against Moses. And I didn't realize there was a moment where God was like, you know what, remember the flood? <laughs> We're doing that again. I'm wiping you out. I've showed you who I am, I've given you a chance, and you're just not even, that's where God was. And this major, the last time God felt like this was with Noah in the flood, and, and that, that's how that turned out. You know, I wonder, I wonder why these people would rather return to their change in Egypt than trust God. 
And I wonder if that's something that we go through all the time. Our change, the things that have kept us separated from God, maybe it was an addiction, maybe it was a fear, maybe it was a hate. And like, you know, getting our life in track with God is difficult. And so sometimes it might just be like, you know what? I just kind of got this muscle memory for the old me, and I'm just trying to, can we just do that? So I don't know if I want to throw a lot of stones at the Israelites right here, because I know I've been there. Did you notice the thing that God offered Moses? He said, he said I'm going to wipe them all out, and then he said, Moses, from you, I could create a better nation, a stronger nation. And in this moment, Moses has kind of an opportunity to be a new Abraham. If you know the story of the Israelites, where they came from, they all came from a guy named Abraham. He was the forefather of them all. And in this moment, God is basically offering Moses to start fresh, the Moses family tree. It had to be, it had to be tempting. But Moses does something really unexpected. Even though the people have rebelled against him, even though they actually threatened to kill him, they're, they're threatened to stone him to death, that's part of the story. And even though God is offering him this super tempting offer, because you know Moses had to be frustrated with these people too. Moses does something completely unexpected. See, here, we talked about legacy earlier. And, and I think a lot of times when we look at our own legacy, we're like, how can I take a step up in the world? Right? We're looking for the promotion. We're looking for a better house. We're looking for, you know, uh, you know better friends or, or better neighborhood to live in. We want more money in our bank account, right? I mean, that's, that's like the American dream. I mean, it's not how it began, but it's, well, maybe it is how it began. I don't know. I'm not going to go in that, that soapbox. But, you know, there's this thing, like, we're always trying to do this, 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 and Moses had this opportunity to do this, to take a step up. And he had that opportunity fair and square. But in this moment, Moses does something that I really want us to camp out on for just a second. He turns all the attention off of himself, and he aims it right back at God. And in this moment, he's like, I'm not as concerned about my legacy, Lord, as I am in you receiving glory. Let's check out what happens. He prays a prayer. Now, we're not going to have the actual prayer on the screen because it's pretty long, but I'm going to give you the summary of it here, and you can check it out for yourself later. He basically says this to God. He says, Lord, please don't destroy them. Please don't destroy them. Instead, will you show your power in another way? Will you show your power through your grace? Because, you know, these other nations, Egypt and the Canaanite nations, they... They know what happened with the, with the Egyptians and, and the Israelite slaves. They know we're out here. Like they, don't, just, don't just destroy us because then they're going to say, well, the God of the Israelites isn't capable of taking care of his people. But instead, let them live. Show them your grace. And these Israelites, they might not appreciate it, but you know who will notice it? The Egyptians and the other people in the world. I don't know where Moses got this strike of genius. And it might have just been from a, just a completely, completely selfless place. But God does the craziest thing here. He listens to Moses. He's like, okay, okay, that sounds fair. But I'm still going to punish the people. And he gives a punishment that we read about in Numbers chapter 14, verse 20. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you've asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on an oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. And they didn't. The people that treated God with contempt and didn't trust him, they never saw 
a home in the promised land in Canaan. And that's the book of Numbers. I told you we're going to pause our tour through the Pentateuch. That's, that's kind of how it goes. The rest of the book is the story of these Israelites living out that punishment. Uh, they were nomads with no home. And they were just wandering through and setting up camp here and there. And they were surrounded by enemies because everybody's like, what are these people doing? out here. And so they're constantly like attacked or people are trying to, to, to trick them and make all kinds of weird treaties with them. And um, they never have a chance to set down roots. They never get to like plant good crops and establish roads and economy. It just doesn't happen. God said, I brought you out of Egypt for this, but no, if you're not going to trust me, you can't have it. And he says, I'm going to give this not to you, but to your children. And maybe they'll do better with it. And so the rest of the book of the numbers is like this 40 year by the way, that's how long it lasted. 40-year wandering through the wilderness. And I don't want you to picture them just kind of like wandering, bumping into trees and stuff. Like, no, it's like they were, just, they were just like they had to stay here and then up and move. And then stay here and up and move. They were basically camping for 40 years. All right, 40 years. If you're following the math, especially if you've been here for the whole series, but you don't have to be here to understand this. If you're following the math, okay, Moses was around 40 years old when he first left Egypt the first time, okay? He was a fairly young man, in, relatively speaking. Uh, and then and when he's around 40 years old, he kind of flees Egypt because he's, he's, uh, he, he's, uh, he's, he's committed some crimes. He killed a guy. He had to get out. It was bad. He gets out, and then he establishes a new home. He sets up shop. He becomes a shepherd. He's just, he builds a family. He's got a wife and kids and all this stuff. He's out in the wilderness for another 40 years before God appears to him in this burning bush that we talked about a few weeks ago. So when God, comes, when, when God sends Moses to rescue the Israelites from Egypt, how old is he then? Like 80 years old, right? Most of us, when we're 80 years old, we're like, look, I'm ready to park the hover around and be done, right? Like, just tell me, tell me where I can sit because I'm ready to check out. But when he's like 80 years old, he delivers these people from Egypt. And you, you, might, you might think if you're Moses, he's like, you know what, my, my goal, yeah, I'm going to get these people out of Egypt. God's told us we're going to go to promised land. I'm going to set up a nice little retirement home there in the promised land. It's going to be awesome. And then this punishment happens. And 40 years they're wandering in the wilderness, and guess who was left in charge? Moses. Do the math. 80 plus 40 is 120 years old. I was talking about this with my kids uh, this week, and my son was like, man, people in the Bible lived a long time. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know all the factors that allowed them to live that long, and that's a question a lot of people have. But that's, that's where the math works out. He's 120 years old, and guess what? He's still not home. <laughs> Are we there yet? <laughs> nope. So we paused our walk through the Torah earlier, uh, the first five books of the Bible, and we, we kind of wrap up by going to the fifth book. But now we pick back up as the final chapter of Moses' life unfolds. The fifth book of the Torah is called Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. And this book begins with Moses, who's now 120 years old, and he's standing before the nation of Israel, which in itself is an achievement when you're 120 years old. And this time, the people he's talking to are the children of the rebellious nation that he delivered from Egypt. Most of these people have zero memory of the 10 plagues that helped them get out of Egypt. They have zero memory of crossing the Red Sea. I always have imagined like there might have been someone that's older, maybe in their 50s or something, and they like have a vague memory of crossing the Red Sea. And they were like, I remember there being like walls of water. Like, did that really happen? Like, you know, and like, they, but they, they don't remember God's law coming down from the mountain. They don't remember being uh, initially coming out and having the Egyptians chase them and see God rescue them uh, by, by, by closing the waters in on the Egyptians' heads. Like, they don't remember that. All they have is the stories that their parents told them. 
And so here's Moses standing in front of this new generation of the promise. And the book of Deuteronomy is essentially a collection of Moses' speeches to these people. Because it's called, uh, the Deuteronomy, Deuto means second, and the, the, the second law, it's like, I'm giving it to you again. I gave it to your parents once, but I want to make sure you understand it. And so he's like, I'm just, I want to tell you. So he goes over, uh, he reminds them of the failures of their fathers. He tells them about the rescue from Egypt. He goes over the, the law, including the Ten Commandments and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, he tells the people about the bright future that they can have if they will just bring glory to God with their lives. If you will just do that, God will bless you. And in the middle of all these speeches, he says something that has become the most quoted scripture in all of history. Um, and you might think, uh, John 3.16, is that it? No, that's later. It's one of the, I gotta say, and I think it probably could easily be counted as the most quoted scripture in history. I'm gonna read it to you, and then I'm gonna explain to you why I'm pretty sure it's the most quoted scripture in history. Um, in Deuteronomy verse chapter 6 now, so if you're in your own Bible, you can flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we'll be in verse 4. And he's in the middle of this whole like exhortation. He's given all these speeches and he's given all these encouragements and this is what you should do and this is what you shouldn't do and this is what God's going to do for you. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4, he says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them to your foreheads. He's like, I want you to remember this. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build and houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. That sounds pretty sweet, by the way, all of that. And then when you eat and you are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He gives it to him. And as Moses is taking stage for his final act as leader of these people, he boils down everything that God has taught him over the last 120 years and he gives this sentence that I think is the most quoted scripture from the Bible in all of history. It was the very first one we read, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. This, uh, this simple phrase has become known as the Shema. Or really, more specifically, the Shema Yisrael. I don't know Hebrew, so I don't know if I did that right, but I think it's close. And what that means is, it means, listen up, Israel. Or, hey, guys, listen. It's something like that. It's kind of what it means. And it not only does it mean listen, but it also means obey. So it's kind of this whole big package deal. Shema Yisrael. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. So love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. Uh, faithful Jewish people from that time forward have said this prayer twice a day, in the morning and in the evening. That's why I'm positive. It's got to be the most quoted scripture in all time because it is said all the time, millions and millions of times. It is the most central uh, component of what God wants from us. We spent two weeks talking about um, the Ten Commandments. Uh-oh. Sorry about that, whoever that was. Don't worry, it's not broken. We spent two weeks, the last two weeks, talking about the Ten Commandments, and we said that all of these uh, laws could be boiled down into this basic idea, love God and love people. 
Jesus himself was approached and they said, hey, what is the greatest commandment? And you know what Jesus did? Jesus didn't just pull this out of thin air. He says the Shema. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord, Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. And in this series of speeches, Moses wraps up his tenure as leader of the Israelites. Now, it's crazy because the book of Deuteronomy doesn't have like a whole lot of action and it's not like this moment where they have like a farewell party for Moses. They probably should have at least made like a cookie cake or something. I don't think they did any of that. You just kind of get dropped off with Moses' story. There's one more little scene I want to show you, but what I want to focus on as we wrap up today is that as Moses is, is looking at the last chapter of his life and he reviews all the things God has done for them and he's just lived through 40 years of punishment from God for these people. He says, listen, more than anything, guys, more than anything, what I want you to know is love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. And people are like, I need five steps to a better marriage. Please, can you give me that? No, 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 no. Listen, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. Yeah, but who should I vote for for president? It's hard. Stop. No. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. Yeah, but the Canaanites are scary. They're big. They're tough. They've got swords and spears. I know. I know. But listen. Listen to me. I've been through a lot with you guys. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. There's no other God. Love him with everything within you. And as I wrestled with, like, how do I want to wrap up this kind of epic series on the life of Moses? Now, I had all these thoughts about these different things, and, and one thing that's true about Moses' life is that, this is a, kind of an interesting point, all the people go into the promised land, but guess who doesn't get to go? Moses doesn't get to go. He was actually being punished for something else that he had done, and God's, I guess there's a lesson in that, like sin has consequences. I mean, grace is there and forgiveness is there, but sometimes sin just the consequences are unavoidable, and that's where Moses was. So like, I was like, okay, maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point of Moses' life. Sin has consequences. But I'm like, no, that's not what Moses' life amounts to. What is his legacy? Think about Moses' legacy. I mean, yes, he, he, he might be revered as like a, a great uh, lawgiver. In fact, he wrote what is often called the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. That's pretty sweet. I haven't written any books of the Bible. I don't know about you guys. This guy got five, and they're pretty big, Okay. But is that his legacy? Maybe. He's also known as the leader of Israel. I mean, he, rec- he rescues these people from slavery. Is that his legacy? Well, I mean, that's something he did. Yes, absolutely. But as he stands before the people, the thing that he wants them to know is love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. And I would, I would argue that, that that decision that he made is his greatest legacy. Because a lot of people could have, uh, you know, established rules. A lot of people could have led. Uh, and, and, and you might have known someone who was a good rule giver or who was a good leader. But then because of moral failure, just pff, gave up on doing good. And you look at Moses' life and he actually had some of those moments. He, he had moments where he gave up on doing good. But at the end of the day, he said, you know what? I'm still, I'm still going to love God with all my heart and all my mind, and all my strength. As I look at my kids as they go to bed at night, or parents, you'll understand this, you you steal moments, glances of your kids. They're playing in the yard, you know, or uh, 
they're doing a thing with their friends or they're watching TV. They're just, it's those, those few peaceful moments where you don't have to parent, but you can just kind of be like an observer. And you look at that life, and maybe you're not a parent, but, but you've you maybe done this just with other people, friends, someone that you love. Maybe just someone that you get a glimpse of just on the side of the road, and you see that, and you're like, what's going to become of them? Like, what's going to happen with their life? What's going to happen with my kids? What's going to happen with your friends, with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, your coworkers? What's, what's going to be the result, you know, at the end of the day? And I can teach my kids to do a lot of different things. And I can say, listen, the most important thing is for you to get a really good education so you can get a really good job so that I don't have to pay off your school loans. Like, I can say that, you know? I can say the most important thing is for you to get a great house where you can have cookouts and have all your neighbors over. And that'd be good. That'd be cool. The most important thing you, you could do is create a nonprofit that's going to help homeless people. Like, that's, that's good. But as I look at Moses' life and I look at the other lives of the people I see in Scripture and I look at the lives of people who have influenced me, and I recognize that all those people have failures, and I have failures. I have to ask myself, what do I really want my legacy to be? And I want to stand before you today and say, I want my legacy to be that person did his best to love God with all his heart and all his mind and all his strength. I want to wrap up Moses' story before we go. Uh, this is in chapter Numbers chapter 34. Starting in verse 5, it said, And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab. And as the, Lord has said, as the Lord has said, he buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. And the Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. And with that, the story of Moses was over. Or was it? Because look at this last, next verse. It says, now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hand on him, hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him, to Joshua, and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. It's kind of like we said a few weeks ago, to be continued. Moses' life had ended, but he wanted his legacy to continue. The next book of the Bible is called, anybody know? Joshua. This dude takes over, and he picks up where Moses left off. And one of the last speeches Moses gives is this. You guys choose for your day, this day, who you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Where do you think he learned that from? Moses. The guy who took him under his wing and trained him and showed him how to live life. And it says this in verse 10. It says, since then, no prophet has ever risen in Israel like Moses who knew the Lord face to face, who did all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israel. Guys, as we wrap up the day, this is just my thought. Um, I wonder if there were ever moments in Moses' last 40 years when he was wandering through the wilderness going, will this be my legacy? Is this what I'm going to be remembered for? The guy who crashed the ship, the Abraham family tree, the whole plan to save the world. And if he stood in those moments and he was just like, ah, man, I guess, I guess I'll just die out here. And the, and the people were like, we should have gone back to Egypt. We're just going to die in the wilderness. And if there were moments in his tent where he was like, yeah, you're probably right. Because I feel like that's something that we face a lot of times. 
where we're sitting in the middle of the mess and we're like, is this going to be my legacy? Is this going to be the rest of my life? And what I love about God's goodness is this. Do you know the whole story of Moses points to a much more central theme? We've talked about it every week in this series. And it's this, that God had a plan to redeem the world. God had a plan to rescue all of us from our wilderness, from our, uh, from our addiction, from our pain, from our sin. He had a plan for all of that. And he set it up through, yes, through Abraham, and then through Moses, and then through Joshua. And as you read through the rest of the Old Testament, what you see is that God is continually getting closer and closer and closer to this day where he is going to come to the world in the flesh. And when God did that, the name of that person was Jesus Here's the thing Jesus does for us. He says, look, this is not going to be your legacy. The business that you planted doesn't have to be your legacy. The relationship you're in doesn't have to be your legacy. Here's what you can do. You can serve me with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. And your legacy will be that person did it right. And the beauty of that is that we leave ripples that echo into eternity. My guess is that almost everyone in this room is here right now. Because someone else had that ripple effect on your life. And it didn't happen in a vacuum. Whoever invited you here, whoever got you in church to start with, someone spoke to that person first. And guess what? Someone spoke to that person before them. And that person before them. And here is the beauty of the church. That we have this opportunity to continue sending these ripples out. But they don't die and diminish with time. They get stronger and stronger and stronger. I don't know how else to end the Moses series other than just saying Moses was a God chaser. And we can learn a lot from his life. And I pray that as a community, we can be a group of people who says, man, all right, we might not be perfect. We might be walking through hard times. But I want to love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, all my mind, all my strength. And I want to teach others to do the same. Let's be God chasers. Can I pray for you guys this morning? God, you're good. Um, it's been fun just diving into history and kind of having a little different way to teach recently as we've just kind of gotten to some of the storytelling of, you know, someone who's long gone, someone that we don't even think about or see often, yet to see the ripple effect of his life. Thank you for giving us this big picture of the Torah to show us everything from creation to establishing your nation just to say, you've got a plan and you're going to work it out in your way. So God, for our community, for our family today, what I pray, Lord, is that you will give us the opportunity to live out uh, that vision for this community, that you will help us to uh, be agents of your love and to shine light in dark places. And Lord, that if there's anyone in this room here today who may just be wrestling with that, curious about that, questioning that, that you'll make this a safe place for them to ask those questions and explore that and find you. God, we love you. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.